as you are finding your place, take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, please. We're going to read a good portion of this chapter, and it's a familiar passage probably to most of you. But we're going to talk about this morning, uh, really, what does God require of you and of me? And the Bible tells us what does God require of thee, O man, but to love the Lord thy God with all your heart. And you're going to find that thought and that principle even displayed here in this passage in the life of Abraham, that Abraham loved God. And there was a a test, a challenge uh, that Abraham was put to uh, in this text that we're going to look at. And we're going to see that, that the test and the challenge really was a requirement of God. God was demanding something, and it was incumbent upon Abraham to surrender and submit to the Lord. And we're going to make some applications from that uh, this morning. So let's go ahead and read Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. The word tempt there really means a test or a trial in, in one sense, and it was a, certainly a trial or a test of, of Abraham's faith, faith. It was going to test Abraham's love for God as well. It was going to test whether Abraham was going to be obedient to God. And so the Bible says that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, And get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. So he's been traveling for a while. You can see the commitment that Abraham had here to obeying the Lord. This uh, command of God, what God required of him, wasn't something that was just uh, in the moment, immediate. That Abraham had to show some commitment after some time of traveling. And he looked up and he saw that it was afar off. It, it speaks to, to Abraham's commitment to being obedient to God. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, 
seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And remember, the Bible says that Abraham loved his son. He loved him probably more than anything. And yet, the Bible tells us here that he didn't withhold from God the thing that he loved more than anything in this world. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. By the way, the name Jehovah Jireh, it means God will provide. Just like Abraham said God would. I'm going to speak to you today on this thought, what does God require? If we think of the word require or requirement, the definition of that word is this, a thing demanded or obligatory a need, a necessity. When we think about requirements, we also need to think about the context of that requirement because the context of the requirement often determines what our attitude and our response will be. For example, there are requirements in the world all the time. Let's say if you go to school, or you go to a university, or you go somewhere, there's, there's requirements for you to pass the course, to pass the test, to be able to gain the, the diploma or whatever. There are requirements that are given that have to be met. It's a need, it's a necessity, it's something demanded, it's obligatory. On your job, there are requirements of you. You have to meet the requirements in order to keep the job. And so often in life, when there are requirements that are given, it's no problem to submit to worldly requirements in your job or in the school, like the examples that I've just given you. However, when it comes to spiritual things or when it comes to requirements of God Himself or godly authority in our lives, oftentimes the sin nature rises up and those requirements are met with resistance or with even a rebellious spirit at times. And the flesh says, don't tell me what to do. But it's no problem to submit to requirements out in the world. Well, let me tell you something. God has some requirements. And does not God have the right to make demands or give requirements? The Bible says that we are bought with a price. We belong to Him, and therefore we ought to glorify Him in our body and our spirit, which are God's. And so I want to speak to you on this thought from this passage, and you can see how Abraham responded to what the Lord was demanding of him. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today, and then we'll break this passage down. Lord, I pray that you give us understanding today. Lord, I pray that you would lead with your spirit. Lord, we want to honor you. We want to be true to the word of God and faithful to it. We want to rightly divide it. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd enable us today. And Lord, I also pray that you would help us with our response to you, the 
as, as the Spirit of God makes application in our heart, or may we be uh, quick to respond and engage with the Word of God today, that it might be profitable unto us uh, to thoroughly furnish us and to perfect us and to make us into the image of Christ. Or would you be pleased, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want to note here about these requirements is, first of all, that God requires an appropriate esteem. Look at with me again in these few verses. And it came to pass, in verse 1, after these things, that God did tempt Abraham. Again, so God is putting Abraham to the test. He's going to test his love. He's going to test his faith. He's going to test his obedience. And God wanted Abraham to teach Abraham something, even to grow in his faith. And he says here in, in verse 1 that Abraham said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. Here we find that God required something out of Abraham that would demand absolute respect, absolute submission to who God was. The Bible tells us that God said, I want you to take your son, the one that you love, the thing, the, the thing that you love, I want you to take it and I want you to offer it upon an altar as a sacrifice to me. And the Bible tells us that Abraham obeyed God's command. He went and did what God said. But if we think of it in human terms, a command like this would be something that would be totally unreasonable. You want me to do what? Take my only son, uh, the, the, my, my blood, my offspring, you want me to take him and sacrifice him on an altar? But the Bible says that Abraham did what the Lord said. And we can only imagine and we can, we can suspect based on the, the context and everything that, that took place here that Abraham did as the Lord said to do because Abraham had to love God more than he loved his own son. Abraham also trusted God. We know that to be true as well. And we'll, we'll see that in just a minute. He wanted to honor God as his master and his Lord. We don't find Abraham arguing. We don't find him complaining. We don't find him rebelling at, at what God had told him to do. And the reason for that is because Abraham had a, a respect and a fear of who it was that was giving him the command. It was God. And we can make an application here. Because you know what? All of us say that we love God. I don't think there's anybody in this room that would say, no, I don't love God. In fact, if we asked the question, we would all readily say, I love God. In fact, there are many people that say, of course I love God. And of, and of course I honor God in my life. I, I want to. And we have words that come out of our mouth. But let me tell you, friend, it's not the words that come out of our mouth that prove what's really in the heart. 
Because there's a lot of people who say that they love God, and yet their life is filled up with things that actually dishonor God. They have idolatry in their life, when the Word of God says we should have no other God before Him. There are people who say, oh, I love God, and yet they'll take the name of the Lord in vain. In fact, there are people who say that they're Christians who will regularly take the name of the Lord in vain. I highly suspect that you are not what you say you are, if that is true of you. Those are things that sometimes, for people who say they love God, are actually a regular part of their life. Our thinking about what is good, our thinking about what honors God, so often is not God's standard of what is good or what honors Him. It's what the Bible tells us is that is true. Listen, we can't possibly have the right respect and the right esteem for God if it's coming from our own version or our own understanding. It's got to come from the Word of God. Our perception of things is not God's perception of things so often. People say, well, I think God is this way, and I think that what I'm doing in my life is something that honors God. And a lot of it is, I think this way, and I've made God into this thing that I think He is, and so it justifies all that's in my life. See, I'm pleasing God. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? That may not be God's standard. Our perception will never lead to a right picture of God and His character. Only the Word of God gives us the right perception. And the Bible gives us the accurate depiction of God's character and who He is. Abraham understood this. Let me, let me just point out a couple of things. Go to Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57. And look at verse 15, Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What does the Bible tell us concerning God? His character here. The Bible says here that He is high and He is lofty, that He inhabits eternity, and His name is holy. That's the kind of character that God is, that, that God has. He is, he, is, he is above all, He's high, He's lofty, He's eternal, and He is holy. Now I want you to go to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. And the Bible says here in Exodus 15 and verse 11, Exodus 15, 11, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy, thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. And, and we could go on to talk about the mercy of the Lord there. But the, Bible, the point I want to make here is the Bible says, Who is like you, glorious in holiness? He's a God of holiness. If He's a God of holiness, He's also a God who is going to judge sin. Go to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15. 
in verse 4. The Bible says, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Again, the Bible speaks of the holiness of God. God is right, God is true, God is holy, God cannot look on sin. No sin can be in His his presence, God will judge sin. And what I'm saying is that the Bible gives us an accurate depiction of the character of God. Not our own understanding, not our own thinking. Look in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 12. Isaiah 40, 12 says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. That just gives you a depiction here, just an idea of, of the immensity of God. All the, the, the earth is, is 70% water. And the Bible says that he... He, he holds the water of the earth in the hollow of his hand. Just, it's like, like you go down to the water and you scoop up a little bit of water and it's in the hollow of your hand. That's the oceans and the seas and the rivers. and That's the hollow of God's hand. The Bible says that he's measured out the heavens in a span. You've heard me say this before. A span was usually from the tip of the thumb to the tip of the pinky. The universe is ever expanding. We can't even see to the ends of the universe. And the Bible says that God measures it out like this. He's weighed the dust of the earth, the mountains, in a scale and in balances. And, and, you, and you see the, the little dust that is, that is left over in, from the merchants when they would do business and so on. And they would, they would weigh the things out on the scale, the little dust that's left over after they do business. That's the, that's the dust of the earth that God has weighed out. What I'm saying is the Bible shows us how powerful and big God is. Look at verse 22 of the same chapter, Isaiah chapter 40. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity." Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. Notice what the Bible is talking about here. And then, he, and then, and I'll, I'll give you a commentary in just a minute. Let's read a couple of verses more. To whom then will ye liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is the strong, or that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Here it talks about the the the, the might and the power of God. That he is strong in power, and he and he compares it to all the great men of the earth. And there are those who have power in this earth, but, the, but God says, I'm going to blow upon them, and they're going to wither. They're not going to come to anything. God is all-powerful. My point is this. And again, I go back to 
the context of a requirement often determines our response to it. And our view of God is the thing that is at stake here. How is it that, that men so easily respond to authority in this world or some requirement on the job? But when God begins to speak, there's a, there's a heart of rebellion toward the things of God. You don't have the right understanding of who God is and who you're dealing with. A.W. Tozer said, a low view of God gives rise to a thousand other sins. Like God should, should conform to my way of thinking rather than me conforming to God's way of thinking because of who He is. Men argue with the Holy One. Puny, sinful men argue with the all-powerful One. How is it that we think we're going to get away with that? When God speaks... We must obey. We must respond. There's no other way around it because of who he is. What I'm saying is Abraham did what God commanded him to do because Abraham must have had the right respect and the right esteem and the right reverence for God. To take the thing that he loved the most and not withhold it from the one who is the most. Amen? The same is true in our life. We need to have a right reverence for God. Why is it that we find ourselves so caught up and so entangled in things of this life and, and we find ourselves miserable sometimes? Maybe we find ourselves in, enslaved to some sin. We just can't quite get it together. There's something that's always plaguing. Why is, it, why is it that we find ourselves in those situations? Because Partly because of our view of who God is. Why is it that we want the accolades? Why is it that we want the recognition? Why is it that we want the respect? We've got to have it from people. If you don't respect me, why is that? Because we don't have the right view of who God is. God requires a right and appropriate esteem of Himself. Secondly, I want you to notice that God requires also then an act of surrender. The Bible says back in our text in Genesis 22, go back there please, Genesis 22, and I want you to notice verse 3 again. God tested Abraham. God tested his love. God tested Abraham to see what was more important to him. Because in verse 2, God told him to take his son, the one he loved, and to offer him as a burnt offering. But then you get to verse 3, and the Bible says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. We find here is that God requires an active surrender. The right esteem for God is going to lead to obedience and to surrender. 
The Bible says that Abraham immediately obeyed, immediately got busy. He rose up early in the morning. I try to put myself in Abraham's shoes in this moment. God gives him this command. And then the next day he rose up early in the morning. I imagine that there wasn't a lot of sleeping going on for Abraham that night. But the Bible tells us that Abraham obeyed immediately. Why would he do that? Well, he had a right esteem for the Lord, but we also know that Abraham trusted God. He had to have trusted God. Look in Hebrews chapter 11 with me, please. Just keep your place here. And look in Hebrews chapter 11. And you'll understand what I mean as we read here. How did Abraham trust God, or what did he trust God with? Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to look down in verse 17. The Bible says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. What is this passage telling us? It's telling us that Abraham trusted God. Abraham believed God. After he was tried or when he was tried, he offered up Isaac, his son. And notice that the Bible says that he, had, uh, he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. What was the promise that he's talking about here? The promise was that God said to Abraham, I'm going to make of thee a great nation. Out of, out of your loins, out of your son, from him is going to come a great nation that the sand of the sea can't even number uh, them. And out of him and out of that line is going to come the Messiah, the promised one, that all the earth is going to be blessed in your seed. That was the promise that God made to Abraham. The Bible says he received the promise. Where was the promise then? In Isaac thy seed shall be called. Was that promise really in Isaac? Because if that promise was actually in Isaac, then why would he take him and offer him up as a burnt offering? And none of the promise had been fulfilled. The point is that the promise was not in Isaac. The promise was in the one who gave the promise. And the Bible says that he accounted that God was even able to raise him from the dead, if that's what it took. His faith and his trust was in God. He had the right respect and esteem for God. And the command that God gave to him, it also led to an active surrender in his life. Because he believed God. He believed God's promise. Even if it meant God would need to raise Isaac from the dead, he knew that God would fulfill the promise. And what I'm saying is, when God speaks, we need to obey. God speaks on all kinds of things. He speaks on a number of things related to you and to me in everyday life. Simple things. Like forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. He speaks on that, Hebrews 10, 25. That's a command of God, friend. Amen? 
God speaks on all kinds of things regarding giving and regarding sacrifice and regarding surrender and regarding uh, sanctification and regarding obedience to his will. God speaks on all kinds of things. And we say, oh, I love God. Oh, I honor God. And yet my life is filled with things that dishonor God. These are commands of God. And we brush it off as, well... I know God's pleased with me because I do this and I do that. And we bring God down into this area of my imagination and my understanding. And see, God's pleased with me. And yet that's not God's standard. You follow what I'm saying here? When God speaks, we need to obey. Maybe... God is speaking today already. There's some of you here who are not saved. God has been speaking to you. When God is saying today to you, you need to repent. You need to repent of your sin. You need to believe the gospel. You need to surrender your life and your will to me. This is God, the all-powerful, almighty God. And I would simply say, is your attitude like that of Abraham's? When God said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, the one that you love, the thing that you love, and I want you to offer it. And the Bible says, Abraham rose up early in the morning. I think of men in the Bible who had this same kind of heart of surrender. When God spoke, they responded, they obeyed. You remember when Saul, who became the Apostle Paul when he was converted, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And what was his response, his heart? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It was a surrendered heart. You look at the, the rest of the life of the Apostle Paul, and he lived out that act of surrender to the Lord. What does God want from me? What does God want from you? Look in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God. So Paul is pleading with these Roman believers based on the mercy of God in their life. And he says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable or logical service. And be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is it that God wants from you? According to verse 1, God wants everything. You present your body a living sacrifice. The sacrifice is completely used up. It doesn't have a say in which part is sacrificed, does it? But all of it. God wants everything. 
Everything is his anyway. What are you withholding from the Lord in your life when God wants everything? What are you holding in higher regard than the Lord Jesus Christ? What would there be that if God asked for it, it would cause you to pause and delay and hold on? You understand what I'm saying? God requires an act of surrender. Abraham didn't withhold the thing that he loved. Abraham's faith was tested. Abraham's love was tested. But his obedience was a demonstration of his faith and a demonstration of his surrender. God wants everything of our life. I want you to look at the attitude that Abraham had. Go back to Genesis 22. We saw the command in verse 2 to offer his son, but look down to verse 9. The Bible says in verse 9, they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Abraham didn't hold anything back from God. Now look, look at verse 15. And the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. Again, you see the attitude. He says, You haven't withheld your son, your only son. What was his attitude? Everything that was most dear to Abraham was at God's disposal. That's the point. Everything that was most dear to him was at God's disposal. And again, what are you holding in higher regard in your life than Jesus Christ? What would there be in life that if God asked for it, it would cause you to pause Abraham feared God. Abraham respected and reverenced the Lord. And so when God spoke, Abraham surrendered and Abraham obeyed. The third thought this morning is that God requires also an adequate sacrifice. In verse 2, we saw that he commanded Abraham to offer his only son. In verse 8, the Bible says, My son... God, Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now, Let's just think about this for a minute. God tells Abraham to offer up his son. 
to slay his son. That's a strange demand or requirement in our mind, in our eyes. The Bible says in verse 8 that Abraham said to his son, God's going to provide himself a lamb. And then in verse 13, we find that God fulfilled that. God provided the ram for the sacrifice. But, but the, the, the point that I want to make is this, and ask this question, what is significant about God requiring or asking, not even asking, but, but telling Abraham to sacrifice his son? Because in our mind, that would be, that's absurd. That's unreasonable. Why would God ask this of Abraham? Well, we have to understand that Abraham grew up in a culture of human sacrifice. The Babylonian culture uh, was full of, 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 of religion, like astrology and so on, and it demanded human sacrifice. That's the culture that Abraham grew up in. And the significance of this is that God was revealing himself to Abraham to show Abraham that that's not the kind of God I am like the ones that you know. Look at verse 11. Because the Bible says the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And the Bible tells us that God did provide the ram. But what I'm saying is, in Abraham's mind, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't necessarily have been the same as it is for us, such an absurd request or requirement of God. That was the culture he grew up in. But God was distinguishing himself from the culture, and God was distinguishing himself as the one true God. I'm not like the God that you know, the false gods. Do you know every culture has a sense? that they need to appease the gods. Every culture has that. It's inherent in every person, actually, that there is a God. It's in, in, our, in our nature, in our soul. But that's, we, we know that that's true, that all cultures need to appease the God. It's the reason for all the pagan deities that you see throughout human history. What God was doing in Abraham's life was not only distinguishing himself, but God was also giving a type of what God would do through his own son. Go to Hebrews chapter 1 with me. When God required that Abraham would sacrifice his son, God was giving a type of what he would do through his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. If you don't know what those words mean, the word sundry, it means various. And the word divers means different or diverse. And so God, who at various times and in different manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. But then you get to verse 2 and he says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, 
The Bible tells us here that God speaks to us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the brightness of God's glory. He's the express image of His person. And then the Bible says that He, by Himself, has purged our sins. Now go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews 10 and verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So what is he saying here? The law that God gave to Moses and to Israel, it was a shadow or a picture of things to come. And those sacrifices which they offered year and year by year, they could never ever deal with the sin issue. They could never make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. So those Old Testament sacrifices have ceased because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the books it is written of me, to do thy will, O God." Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings, and offerings for sins thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he might establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He's saying here that those Old Testament sacrifices could never take away sin. God didn't have any pleasure in that. But what God does have pleasure in is that God prepared a body for the Lord Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice for our sin that would take away the sin of the world. Those Old Testament sacrifices, there's just a rolling over from year to year, a covering over of sin from year to year but it was pointing to the one, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world forever. What I'm saying is, what God did in Abraham was a type of what God would do through His own Son. God requires an adequate sacrifice. Salvation is by grace through faith in our substitute. The one who took our place. God gave Abraham a substitute as well. We read in verse 13 that God provided the ram. God has given us a substitute in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 in verse 10. The Bible says, Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Bible says that God sent His Son 
to be the propitiation for our sin. The word propitiation, it means an appeasement. It's an appeasement of the wrath of God on our sin. Jesus Christ came to pay the sin debt. Jesus Christ came to face the penalty for sin that we deserved. God sent His Son to be the appeasement of God's wrath on my sin. The only way that sin can have remission is through the shedding of blood. And it's got to be the right kind of blood. Amen. Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, the Bible says, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Jesus Christ is the appeasement of God's wrath when we put faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 18, the Bible says here, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus Christ once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust. He's our substitute, that He might bring us to God. What an amazing thing God has done. There's an adequate sacrifice that God has made. It's through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the point that I want to make here this morning is God requires something, even in this adequate sacrifice. For that sacrifice to be applied to you and to me, God requires and demands repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You may be here this morning and you've never been saved. God is requiring something of you. He's requiring repentance. He's demanding repentance in order to receive the forgiveness of sins. If not, friend, you're going to face the wrath of God all on your own. There's no appeasement of the wrath of God on your sin. It's got to be through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, repent ye therefore and be converted. That is what God requires of you. If you're a child of God today, God requires surrender. God requires of you the right view of Him, an appropriate esteem of God. How do you view Him? We say again that we love God. We say that we honor God. We say, oh, God's pleased with me. But are the things that I, that I am looking at and presenting, are they God's standard? Are we really honoring the Lord with all of our life? My prayer today is that the Lord would help us to, number one, see Him again for who He is, and number two, not withhold anything from the Lord. When God speaks, we need to obey what is it that we would hold on to or hold in higher esteem? What is it that we would not allow God to have? Abraham, there was nothing. Even his only son, the one that he loved, he did not withhold 
from the Lord. Are we that kind of surrendered? And may the Lord have His will and His way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray this morning for Your will to be done. Lord, number one, that the saints of God, that we would be surrendered to the Lord in everything. But number two, for the one who's unsaved, Lord, that there would be a repentant heart, a willingness to surrender to the Lord. When you demand and require repentance, that the heart would be contrite. And Lord, that we would stand in fear of God, of who you are, and what you are as God. And Lord, that it would motivate us to a place of humility and surrender and yieldedness to you. Lord, would you draw those who are unsaved. May they come today with a contrite heart and a humble heart. Father, would you save souls. And Lord, for the saint of God, Lord, that we would have the same humble and contrite heart. Lord, that we would examine our life. And Lord, is there something that I would withhold from you? What do I hold in high esteem than God? Lord, may there be a heart of surrender. We pray these things in Jesus' name.